0: It's our authority. Um, it accurately tells us what we need to know about God, about us. Um, we must experience an evangelical small e mu- is a person who believes, I must have a personal encounter with, with God in which I am born again. Um, and that then we walk with the Lord um, in obedience and we look for his literal, visible, second return to earth and final redemption, judgment, heaven, hell, um, all the basic um, historic doctrines of Christianity um, are held to by what is labeled evangelicals. Liberals for the most part um, have fallen away, turned away from any of those doctrines. And specifically, one of them you know one of the telling doctrines, and you hate to be, um, what, negative, but one of the most telling doctrines of any person you can ask them, a preacher or a church or whatever, tell me your doctrine of sin. You can you'll find out a lot in a hurry when you ask that, because one of the liberal mainline churches and the mainline churches are sadly churches that, in many cases, were once evangelical, but they departed from that. Um, you know, Presbyterian, Methodist. Um, Congregationists don't really exist anymore. They've gone through several mergers and so forth. Um, But they've gone to the doctrine of the basic goodness of humanity. Um, And so if you believe that every human is basically good, the problems we experience, the issues we have, uh, even in society they are related to misinformation or poor education, uh, poor understanding, poverty, um, all those kinds of things. And once you believe that, then you no longer need a savior. You don't really need to be rescued from anything except social problems. So the a rather old term, but it's still true, um, is what was called the social gospel. It's a completely different response to the problem. Okay? Um, Medicine is disease-centered. The disease determines the treatment. I cut by the prayer group in the conference room um, and talking to one of the guys in there who just got back from Denver with, you know, started into immunotherapy for, um, you know, basal cell skin cancer that's invaded, you know, gotten into his, um, under the skin and they were looking at all kinds of surgeries and they're trying immunotherapy. The point, but at any rate, um, <clears throat> everything turns on what, what you got. What kind of cancer is this? And there's, you know, a, a lot of kinds. Well, it make any difference. It makes all the difference, okay? I have to know what the disease is and its nature, its function, its properties, how it acts, what its course is if, it left, if left alone then i tailor i tailor a treatment that makes me feel good or is easy or is cheap or doesn't make you go no i tailor a treatment about which i have no choice if i'm going to take it i cannot take it but if i'm going to take it it has to it is it doesn't have a choice. It it has to address the kind of disease we have. So when you move over into theology, if you pronounce a person not fundamentally sinful, not born with an inherited bent to sinning, to rebellion, to self-autonomy, to uh, self-will, to rebellion against any laws, um, especially moral, God's laws. I want to do what I want to do. If we deny that, then, of course, as I said, everything turns to, okay, we need education, we need um, streetlights, that'll stop the crime. you know, we need to clean up, we need, we need to get rid of poverty, we need to all these different things. Um, and that's what a huge portion of uh, mainline Protestantism moved to in the middle 1900s and later. Um, there was, of course, and there always is, a, a pushback um, and that um, produced some things in, in the U.S. Um, in the 70s, there was a rise of, of um, <clears throat> a couple things. One, the home Bible study movement was a really big deal in the 70s. Um, when I was in seminary, I was in seminary from 73 to 76 and in Portland, Oregon. And it was, that was the thing. The church, I, I, and I, there's no way in the world we're going to have enough time tonight. In, in a way, the church is, especially the church in America, is so, sort of pathetic. Okay, here's what I mean. They walk around desperate to be liked and be liked by the world. And so they ape the world. They um, pick up on the fads of the world. But like, you know, like the poor kid in school that's never popular, they they always hop on the bandwagon about 15 years after it was popular. You understand what I mean? The world's already moved on, and the church who thinks that this will appeal to the world and get them to come to our church and hear what we have to say—we we think we're coming out with brand new ideas, and the world's already gotten sick of it. Um, we're we're fouled up. But anyway, um, the home Bible study thing wasn't a bad thing. I'm not uh, saying that I, I don't believe in studying the Bible. But part of an el- a big element of it was um, that it takes the place of church. You don't need to go to church. We don't want to invite people to church. That may put them off. So let's just get them to come to our homes for a Bible study and down the road will try to gradually nudge them into becoming a part of a church. Okay, now you might think, well, what's wrong with that? Well, most of the time it never happened. They never got to, um, they never got plugged in to a church. And a lot of the home Bible studies also um, were rudderless they would have leaders when you you know when you've got to try to get everybody in your church into a home bible study or what became called small groups you have to have really good leaders you have to have people that know their bible and and can t- keep charge of something and you because you can have people that get the study off and you're way over here yakking about something that was one of the worst issues that cropped up through um, what was then called the home Bible study movement, along with um, heresy, frankly, Um, wrong thinking, wrong teaching, wrong interpretations of Scripture. Now, you're going to think, I I don't want you to think that I think, you know, if you don't have a seminary degree, you, you should just get lockjaw and don't say anything and just wait till the preacher tells you what to think and you know you just sit there with your mouth hanging open because you that's it Um, but a lot of those kinds of movements became nothing but essentially a pooling of ignorance you understand what I mean there wasn't somebody that said okay I'm glad you know Billy Bob that you think that verse means that but I got to tell you kindly it doesn't but it, it, everyone's opinion was equal. And so things were, reading and getting periodicals, church periodicals every month, you know, you'd read about all the churches now wondering, okay, what do we do with the fact that, that um, things went off the rails here, um, doctrinally? Some people got way off, pulled away from the church that sponsored them. Um, Liz and I would, Liz would remember um, basically a good church. And I don't mind telling you, it was a Nazarene church. Good doctrine, good, you know. um, But they, you know, really went hog wild into all that and kind of let everybody just do their own thing. Well, it ended up that there was a there was a whole group. Can't remember how many in uh, Liz's parents' church down in California. We'd go to visit, and they were just a little bit. I don't know how to describe it here. Let's put it this way: in in the in the New Testament, it says greet one another with a holy kiss. They got a little carried away on that, and as a visitor. I just felt, um, in, the, in the foyer of the church, there was just a little too much huggy junk going on. Okay, Well, it turned out that that wasn't all that was going on. It tore the church up. Um, so that, as a movement itself, kind of died out. The small group movement replaced it, ostensibly, and if possible, with better trained leaders and more tightly reined in by the church um, so as not to just let things go nuts. Um, but the, the fact that it was based on the, no, the notion, let's don't push, push church. Let's be kind of freewheeling and be halfway disconnected out here. And we may never get, we never, may never go to church on Sunday. But we're, we, this is our little group. Um, those, that was a big thing as a pushback to the um, waning knowledge of Scripture. Um, there was a, um, also, along with liberalism, came a, a gradual and continuing um, biblical illiteracy movement to where people don't know their Bibles anymore. Um, church people don't know them. During those days, 80s and 90s, I talked to Christian college presidents and professors who said that they had to overhaul. Their Bible classes, um, and named a Bible study book that I grew up with. It was a famous, everybody had, um, well, if you're as old as I am, but everybody had Egermeyer's Bible story book, okay? Big, thick, blue book, Bible stories, pictures, you know. Of each, about a picture per page and a story. At a Christian college, they had to scrap the more scholarly Bible texts and textbooks, and they went to Egermeyer's children's Bible story book as the freshman introduction to the Bible. And who were they? They weren't serving people that were uh, never seen the inside of a church. They were serving churched families and kids who grew up in Sunday school, grew up in the youth group. But much of the youth group had turned to uh, funny videos and pizza, you know, instead of the Bible. And I don't know what in the world they were doing in Sunday school, but somehow... And there was nothing going on in the homes of too many people um, that professed to be Christians because their kids didn't know anything. So um, the movement to try to combat liberalism ended up, um, it had the seeds of its own destruction in it because it was an effort to try to soft pedal the cost of being a Christian and an effort to try to attract people um, with it, well, then another term was introduced, um, the seeker-sensitive movement. okay The seeker-sensitive movement was best um, illustrated by a church called the Willow Creek Church in Chicago. It was one of the first um, of a number of another movement, which was the megachurch movement. But the uh, introduction of, to every church service, the materials, so forth, um, of Willow Creek, which um, really had a huge influence on a lot of churches across the United States was, um, and I can't remember all of it, but you, if you come to church... We ask you to sing nothing, do nothing, like volunteering. Give nothing. I can't remember, they had two or three more, but basically, we, we don't want to require anything of you. Um, you just, we will attract you with Fun, filled sermons and you know, um, cute little videos as illustrations in the middle of the sermon. and everything is going to be non-offensive. Um, about, well, I'd say some 15 years maybe before him, probably the number one starter of that whole movement was Robert Schuler. I don't know how many of you've ever heard of Robert Schuler, okay? well um schuler was you know he built a massive church in Anaheim and then they built the um the final building he built was called the Crystal Cathedral I don't know if he, and and he had a TV the hour of power okay um, he wrote a book that I still have in my library and we had to study it in seminary because he was just getting started and he was he was the talk of the town Um, but he I'll never forget in his book he outlined for what he did at preachers conferences I had several chances to go and I missed out on it (laughs) Um, because I didn't want to go but at any rate He said, take two blank pieces of paper, set them side by side on your desk to a minister. Write on one every single negative emotion you can think of. You know, fear, shame, embarrassment, you know, whatever. Make as long a list as you can. of Every single emotion that would trouble you on the other blank sheet of paper, write every single positive emotion you can think of. Happiness, joy, you know, whatever. Um, then, he said this, when you get your list completed, take the list of negative emotions, wad it up, throw it in the wastebasket in your office, and vow never to preach any sermon that ever stirs any of those emotions so then take the other list and everything you teach everything you preach is to be is be uh, to be designed to make you you know skipping out to the parking lot when you leave okay now of course we know jesus never got that message um Schuler, and I and, and I was looked at as some kind of an incorrigible jerk um, among the ministers um, in the conference out there that where I was at in Portland for not going to Schuler. You know, they chartered a big bus and we're all going to Anaheim, and I just I said I don't have any use for him and I'm gone, um, and so I was a dud and a whatever, um, but those guys. Those guys always collapse. It's built on them. It's the Robert Shuler ministry. And of course, everybody, I think, knows the story. It went on, went on. He, he began to get more and more liberal and kind of getting away from basic Christianity, more and more about money. And <clears throat> then got into financial problems from spending way too much money, and also got, um, you know, questioned about where he was at with the money that was donated, where did it all go, you know, whatever. And oddly, he had a son who was more conservative than his dad and an excellent preacher. And he succeeded his dad for I can't remember a couple months (laughs) and then his dad outed him because he 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 was he was preaching too much scripture truth and it wasn't sending everybody you know with a waxy you know grin on their face back to their car skipping all the way in the parking lot and so they threw Bob Jr. or whoever he was out and put his sister in Okay, And she, you know, she couldn't preach. She didn't know what in the world was going on. Anyway, the whole thing ended up collapsing. They ended up thrown out of their own church, the Shulers, um, died under a real cloud. Um, and the Catholics swooped in and bought the Crystal Cathedral and made diocese headquarters out of it. And so... That, that's who's got it um, today. Um, you can multiply these, these guys that you know, are trying to um, attract the world with the world. You understand what I mean? Um, Tozer made a good statement. What we win people with We've won them too. You, set, you, you, you feed people cotton candy to come to your church and they'll never get off of cotton candy. Because if you do try to feed them some meat and broccoli, they don't want it. And so all they'll do is finally, if you stick to that, they'll go six blocks down and two blocks over to the church that's still feeding cotton candy. And that's all they look for. Um, That has been, I would say, the story um, in America for about the last at least 40 years. We've been more and more, even though we may have more numbers in some cases, we're, we're thin as, uh, as tissue paper. We, we're, we don't have any, we don't have any, we're not here in meat. We're not raising sturdy Christians. Um, we're, we're a mess. Now, aren't you glad you came for this final lesson? Um, but I think that's just the way it is. I mean, we have to face the fact that um, people generally today have been so, their taste buds have been so reprogrammed that they think um, church is all about just being happy, having fun, and, and now, am I opposed to happiness? No. The best way to happiness is to admit you're a total hopeless mess but Jesus, please make me different. Turn my heart around. Save me. Free me from the bondage of sin that I'm in, that has stopped being fun. Come into my heart. I'll pay whatever I price. I'll follow you. That'll make you really happy. It may, it'll make you deeper than that. It's joy. Even if, even if you lose friends and everything else by becoming that kind of a Christian, that's the kind of joy and peace that God gives us. The world is just meringue off the top of a meringue pie. It, it dissipates the minute you bite on it. That has been, I think that's typified almost my, at least, experience in my total years of being in the ministry, because that's been the case, um, especially in, in America. Now, um, along with the mega churches, which um, the mega churches, Statistics bear out that the megachurches um, have really not won people from um, being lost. You know what I mean? The megachurches, 80% of the people in megachurches were, were wrestled, they're wrestlers were wrestled from other churches. So the idea that the megachurches boy they're just winning people from the devil's camp, they're getting people out of sin and boy they're changing things um, is, is a, a myth. They're just poaching people from other churches and who wouldn't rather one of the things the megachurches give you is anonymity. You don't have to volunteer for anything, you don't have to do anything. You just show up they'll you know you're greeted in the parking lot and you've got paid nursery and you know whatever, and you don't have to do anything. so you become a spectator and a consumer. The notion of Christianity being a serving religion um, is that's no way to attract people, according to their thinking. So um, we, we require nothing of people, and that's supposed to attract them. And it's also almost openly looked at um, that way of getting a hold of people. They, the, the leaders of many of the megachurches in the megachurch movement don't mind pretty much admitting. It's bait and switch. We lure you in with no, no requirements. You know we never tell you you're, you need to quit doing whatever it is you're doing this wrong. Um, we just are here to help and support and you know whatever. And then you begin to supposedly start after they are hooked and they're in and they got friends and they're in a class now or a group or something um, they start making friends then you just by teaspoonfuls begin to make some of the um, more distasteful things of the gospel you present them Um, you, you know you ought to be putting something in the offering plate all this that we have to support you here, you know, maybe help pay for a little bit, but only a little bit. Um, so, it's the exact, the longer I look at it, we've adopted methods that are exact opposite of what Jesus did. Exact opposite because of the miracles, because of the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, you know, um, with loaves and fishes, people thronged to Jesus. They, it says in many cases, they, they were so, there were so many people, they were so anxious to get close and hear Jesus, it said they were trampling on one another. And what did Jesus do? Ah, oh, listen, I'm not going to hurt your feelings. I'm not going to tell you anything you're doing. You need to quit. Uh, we're, we're buddies. And way down the road, if I can lure you in, I might just give you, you know, um, teaspoon bits of truth. But, not, but I don't want to offend you. Jesus stopped them in their tracks and said, you count the cost of following me because I require you give me everything you give me your heart everything your life you change your life you stop being your own masters you think I'm your master now you knuckle under or don't bother that's totally opposite of what almost the entire American conservative church world is today so that now what has that produced that's produced um, in some cases more people in the pews but less Christianity the the I've given you these uh, statistics before but sadly among professing Christians, people that would identify as a Christian, which is another problem, because they get to identify what that is. Um, they get to identify and define a Christian, um, but there is no discernible statistical difference among those part that part of the population that identifies as conservative. Bible-believing Christians and the unchurched, uninterested in God crowd. There's no statistical difference on the issues of pornography, um, child abuse, domestic abuse, adultery, all that stuff. There's no difference. When, I, when Liz and I lived in Anderson, Indiana, um, before we moved here to Gillette, um, that was the world headquarters of what had been a good denomination, Church of God, and they, they, there's a bunch of denominations that use the phrase, the name, Church of God. Okay? Well, they have, to, they have to define themselves. There's a Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, they are way out there, um, charismatic. Way out. Um, there's a Church of God Holiness down in Kentucky, and into there, they're snake handlers. Okay. Well, in Anderson, or in, in, in Anderson, Indiana, it was the Church of God Anderson. Okay, to distinguish from other whacked-out places, um, and they were a holiness outfit. They believed in being saved. They believed in being sanctified. Um, they were part of that holiness movement all through the uh, late 1800s, the camp meetings, the Methodists, a uh, huge uh, collection of people. When the, and they had, these, they, they had this huge camp meeting that would be held in Anderson, And there would be, Anderson was a town of about 60,000 probably, but a lot of little towns around. It would swell by 25,000 when the Church of God came to town for one week. Um, And, you know, there were trailers and motels were filled and everything else. And the liquor stores, (laughs) the liquor stores and the, you know, the what? This is before some of the social media. You know, the adult bookstores and the porno movies rented in the hotels skyrocketed when that camp meeting was in town. That's pathetic. Um, Of course, I, I knew people in that group who were saints. But they were rotting from the inside um, and going this same route of let's don't, you know, let's don't offend anybody. Numbers is the main thing. Now, um, here's something that I don't, I hope I don't get in trouble here. Something else began to move in with the mega churches um, and with the thinning of, uh, you know, from meat you go to whole milk to 2% to 1% to skim milk to, you know, I don't, I don't think we're even up to skim milk anymore. But, and I don't know if I, 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 I got to invent a word, it's the charismat, charismaticization of church, okay? Um, let me explain what I mean. You've, I talked to you before about the, what's called the kind of the ladder, if you want to, for one of a better term, of authority. There's Scripture. Scripture reigns supreme. Beneath that is reason. Well, let's let's let me, and sometimes we can interchange this tradition. What did the early church, what's 2,000 years of Christian saints and scholars and philosophers and theologians think? What are they taught about the different issues that we face in life? Okay, and then third is reason our minds. We, God gave us a brain and to you know certain few and we're supposed to use it okay last is experience experience can corroborate confirm scripture tradition reason but experience which involves emotions is the poorest faculty we have it's the most Easily deceived, led astray, uh, misled. And that is what 90% of church today appeals to. It's, you know, it's, the, it's, uh, you know, hopping around and, and, you know, the smoke machines. And, and I'm just, oh, hey, this is just cool, dude. Um, now, I hate that. Myself. Um, I just. I'm not into that. Um, I think. Well. Jesus said. Love me. Not only with your heart. But he said. Love me with your mind. It means. Think. Too many Christians. Don't think. And we are bowled over and gullibly swept away by somebody who is, now this is, I don't mean in a religious sense, charismatic. You know? Um, they're glib, they're, they, they're... Boy, they can draw you in and the emotion is just, you know, um, kind of like a rising tide, lifts all boats, and pretty soon, you know, everybody's just bug eyed and <laughs> open to hear any stupid thing. Um, I probably, you know, I'll make this confession on the closing night here. If I had my way, probably, I would like to be a very, I'd like to be in a very godly, thoroughly Christian Church of England. Episcopal or something. Some ritual. No hooting and hollering. <laughs> um, you know, um, that's what I, I, I would like that. I, and, and I'll throw this in. You know what? The most rapidly growing Um, segment of the young the 18 to 30 millennials generally you know what where they're and I just checked all this out in the last several days do you know what churches they're going to Catholic Eastern Orthodox Episcopal you know why because all of the flippant trivial um A.W. Tozer, who died in 63, but was, man, was he ever a prophet. He called, even then, he called the kind of people he said that are in a lot of our churches are saintlings and Christianettes. <laughs> um I would rather, I would rather um, and so are the younger group, the younger are more rapidly moving to those liturgical, ritual churches. Why? I just read an essay a couple days ago of someone inter- doing interviews with people and then r- writing what he gathered. <clears throat> It's that the cotton candy hopping around, smoke machine nonsense, lacks any kind of wonder, awe, majesty. Um, The old cathedrals were built intentionally with massively high, you just are, you're quiet when you go in there, it's awesome. And not in the flippant way we use the word awesome. It elicits awe and wonder and majesty. And there's God put that in human hearts. And then He is the one that satisfies that. So we need we need the concept of coming into the presence of God um, when I was growing up as a little kid, we'd had the call to worship before the serve. At, you know, one of the early things you had the invocation prayed, and then there was the call to worship. A portion of scripture. It always had to do with something about the greatness of God. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Okay. You'd sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Um and i can't I can't remember a lot of the songs you know that f- we you wouldn't know them either we don't know them here, but what is there there's something i don't know you're you're a good good father I don't know what it is there's one, there's something that just goes on forever, and much of the music today, by the way too, that has invaded, which is charismatic sponsored okay um is described this way. Four words, three notes, and two hours. <laughs> okay. Um, that's taken over much of <clears throat> everything. And here's a little thing that we do it here. I'm, I've, I've caved, um, but and, and I've survived, but people say um, worship, we, we hire worship leaders, and we have worship. What does that now mean? Music. God made music. I'm for it. But reading the Word of God is worship. Prayer is worship. Tithing is worship. Preaching is Worship. The whole thing is worship. It has been just hijacked so that now, just the common phrase is, um, you know, I see the agenda for, you know, a service or whatever. And it's worship. And then we do all this other stuff. What do you mean? That to me is also a, a this flippant, flippancy um, move that is based on feelings, emotions. Now, we have feelings. We have emotions. God gave them to us. But this is a huge movement across the globe. I'll give you some statistics here before we go. Um, the charismatic Experience, let's call it that. I won't even say church because a lot of us not organized even as a denomination. But the charismatic experience, the charismatic um, mode is the number one growing movement in the world. Do you know that? Um, And... We can see it, we can see the same um, philosophy in politics, even, um, in, in virtually everything we do today. It's, well, how do, how do you feel about, how, how do you feel about that? Um, when we vote, who do we vote for? Well, we vote for somebody because they're, they're a good speaker. Or we vote for them because they're good looking um, they make me feel good doesn't matter what their policies are doesn't matter what their beliefs are doesn't matter what their character is doesn't matter what kind of people they really are. We don't care about any of that we're We're become so cosmetic, and the church has imbibed with the same thing. Um, So that we're competing, I feel, if we stick to the Bible and we... um, The term is exegesis. Anybody know what exegesis means? Tom, you do. Um, It's the word ex is, is to draw out. Eisegesis is to read in. To the text. A lot of that is what goes on today. It's I think this, therefore I'm gonna make that verse fit it. There's a really scary little verse. I I've paid attention to it, stumbled over it in a sense myself. It's Jeremiah 8:8. 8, 8, I believe it's eight eight. <clears throat> it says the lying pen of the scribes, the translators, turn your word into a lie. Now, I'm not saying <laughs> that you read the King James translation from 1611 or you're, you're going to the hot place. I'm not saying that at all but um there's such a this is another thing an explosion of watered down versions of scripture um, that are take the sting out of it um there's a little phrase and i can't remember what i've looked it up in a bunch of different versions they're all real tame they're all real they sugar-coated when they translate it. King James talks about, um, it, it's a father talking to his son and says, don't go to the wayward woman, okay? You know, the prostitute, you know, whatever. <clears throat> because it said, you do not know that her steps lead down to death and all of her guests are in hell." Now, those that translation has some to it. Only, only in that verse, particular verse, the King James translates it that way. All the rest of them are sugar-coated. Um, it leads to trouble. It leads to, you know, dismay. It leads to this or that. Um, I I like her guests are in hell. Um, Everything we do today is to try to shield feelings because we are now a people of feelings. That's been a huge movement secularly, but also the church. So we're in a lot of ways, we we have really... um, Destroyed ourselves in our witness to the world. Now, <clears throat> um, worldwide, let me give you a couple. Well, first of all, here's just some things with the, the um, United States: um, Gallup, Pew, and then Barna. Barna's purely church. Um, are three um, pretty long-standing, respectable survey people that report on religious stuff. Gallup, um, for the first time in 80 years, in, um, let's see, well, in 2019 and 20, so just two years ago, for the first time in 80 years the number of people in the U.S. who belong to a church or any, now this is any organized religion. It includes Baha'i and whoever else, okay, but the number number who belong to some organized church has slipped below 50% first time in 80 years, okay, Um, it was 73% were connected and mostly Christian churches, Protestant or Catholic, in 1937, it stayed just rigid at 70 percent for 60 years, until the late 90s. It began to drop. It hit. It went from 73 down to 50 from the late 90s, about 2000, to 2018. So in just 18 years, it dropped from nearly three-quarters to 50. And then last year, it slipped to 47 percent. Okay? Um, over the past 20 years, the percentage of Americans who are nuns, you know, they don't identify with anything. They are, they, you know, who you associate with, I'm a nun, N-O-N-E. Um, let's see here. In 98, that was 8%. By 2008, it was 13%. And within, over the last three years, it has grown to 21%. So it's closing in on a quarter of people who have, I have no religious affiliation with any group at all. Um, Now, The future doesn't look good because it correlates with age. The, the older Americans, 66% of them, are connected with some church, okay? Um, and then it goes down. <coughs> Generation X, which, what is Generation X? Isn't that um, like 40s? Okay? Um, it, it drops with that group to 50% and it or 58 58 to with boomers that's my level generation x is 50 and 36% for millennials so the future generations coming up it, it doesn't look good okay um now un, why i don't know the the decline rates have been worse in among catholics than protestants um, You know, there's some of this I don't need to fiddle with. Um, But now I want to look. Let me just give you some stuff on Christianity itself, okay? 2.4 billion people in the the world are Christians. That's the number one religion. Um, Islam falls with 1.8 billion. Um, And so one out of three people in the world are Christian now. (laughs) <laughs> that's a wide term, really elastic. But at least you know that now. Is Protestant, Catholic. That's everybody. Um, the greatest loss of you know, among Christianity um, has been in Europe. Um, Europe, has, Europe has gone. In the 1900s, early 1900s, Christian faith was most prevalent among Europe and the Americas, claiming 93%. um, 93% of the entire global Christian population lived in Europe or the Americas. Okay? Um, Now, today, 26%. Only 20%, 26% of Christians live in Europe, down from 93. Um, 24% live in Latin America, and the Caribbean, 12% live in North America. Um, now, Protestantism has, I've mentioned this to you before, Protestantism has spread Swiftly throughout Africa, Asia, and Southeast um, Southeast Asia, Africa, South America. Okay, so a lot of people talk about how bad things are in w- the Western civilization in America, and how dark we and we've turned our backs on God. And the question then is, this has got to be the end. We've got to be close to it. I don't know. Why? Here's why. Um, there are several places. Vietnam, there are some statistics here. Um, Vietnam has exploded. Um, with, since we, since the war, you know, Vietnam War, um, the Vietnamese have massively turned to Christianity. Africa is probably maybe the, the hottest hotbed of revival. Sub-Sahara Africa is rapidly turning to Christianity. There are huge percent, um, 10%, over 10%, a little over 10% of the people in Sub-Sahara Africa turning to Christianity are coming from Muslim, from, from Islam. Um, South Korea is um, 25 to 30% of people are professing um, evangelical Christians. If there's revival going on in places like that, I can't think God is going to pull a plug. Um, What we're probably doing is thinking in terms of most of the Christian ages, When our local area collapses, we see that as indicative of the whole world. And Jesus has got to be just around the corner. He may be, and I do think there are some differences about the signs of the times. I think they're global, whereas they used to be more regional. But I think that if people are turning to God um, in places around the world, He's not He didn't have to check with me, but he doesn't want anybody to perish. And so he waits, he says, for the harvest to come in. So, anyway, um, Africa, Latin America, and Asia, yeah, are. um, And China is another place where there's rapid growth of Christianity. Worst place, you know, that's kind of typical. So. In a sense, if we, and it's hard for me to do it, but if we can get our eyes up and look over the horizon and not look at us, there's a lot. Christianity is multiplying in other parts of the globe. Just not here. Now, um, let me just... Let me just look at maybe just one or two more. Um, yeah, I already mentioned South Korea. Um, about 37% of all Christian believers brought to the Protestant faith, um, and that would include Church of England and so forth. Catholicism um, is still, Catholicism has um, 1.2 billion out of billion Christians worldwide. 1.2 are Catholic. Okay. Now again, what does that mean as far as deep heart religion? I don't know. Um, But at least those the those are the um, identifiers. Maybe just a couple more, and then we'll quit. Um, Yeah, this is another. Here's another. a number of different studies and reports estimate that many more people have converted from Islam to Christianity during the 21st century, which would be just the last 20 years, than any other point throughout the history of Islam. Um, and the cost is great. They face social rejection, family rejection, imprisonment, in some cases execution in radical Islam um, the one it says one global census suggests 10.2 million Muslims have converted to Christianity in the last 20 years. I used to think Muslims were there's no way, um, but God <laughs> knows what He's doing. Um, <clears throat> now. Um, one in three people then, at least professedly, one in three people on the globe profess to be a part of Christianity. Now, that's, again, we don't know the depth of commitment and all that, but um, that encouraged me a little bit. Um, and we're, we're, we're number one in the world. There is then still apparently some salt in the world, even as in our country and in Western civilization, in particular, where we are rapidly declining. Much of the rest of the world isn't. So um, now, what do we do then in our own case? Um, I think that I think that we we can't scramble to try to come up with new catchy little, you know, phrases and methods and all. The only, the only thing we have to stick to the Word of God. There's nothing else but stick to the Bible. Um, Someone called me today and said, I talk to people about God, I pray for people, I try to witness to people I work with and so forth, and said I just feel like I'm not doing any good at all, and it seems like nothing, you know, what am I doing? And I thought of the scripture Paul said, um, we, he's talking about he and Apollos, we said we water, we plant, and we water. But God makes it grow. And that's through His Word. That's not as attractive because we feel like, well, I'm not doing something. I'm not, you know, pulling strings. I'm not... We have to... uh, So I told this person, I said, the only thing we can do is keep sowing seed, keep watering it. That's all we can do. But God promised, He said, I'll make it grow. I know how to make it grow. I know where it's at. So just keep planting seed, keep sowing, and leave it with God. Because I can't make it happen anyway. I just can't do it. So I, I quit then. I, I, I end this study with, honestly, um, grief and worry, of course, about our local, you know, meaning our country, but i don't know that christianity is teetering on the edge yet um like we are here there's still as god told elijah seven thousand haven't bowed the knee to baal um america still the most christians on the globe live in america as bad off as we are the most christians live here and I think that it is clearly satanic to get us so discouraged, and we can get a bunker mentality, an Alamo mentality. We're holed up here, they're coming for us, we'll just save the last bullet, you know. And, it, and it's easy for me to think that. But God hasn't died, um, He's still working. His word, uh, a lady from a church, the first church I pastored in Oregon, sent me a little text the Monday morning. And just, um, she just said, you, you've been on my mind, and I want to just remind you, she just gave me a, a verse. She said, remember, stick to this. And it was Jeremiah something. And so I looked it up, and it's where um, Jeremiah was telling God, I'm not preaching anymore, I'm sick of it. <laughs> and God's and he said, um, but God's word was like a fire in my bones. But then God said, is not my word like a fire that consumes? Is not my word like a hammer on a rock? I will make this and such, whatever, happen. So, um, we've got to keep our eyes on God. Um, he's not going anywhere, thankfully. And he said he'd never leave us. So, that's the state of Christianity and religion in the world today. Um, <clears throat> but God's still running things. So, well, we're about one minute over. So, let's pray. Father in heaven, I do pray that you would encourage us, if nothing else, when we see all that the church went through from within and without and um, Enemies within and without. It's still here. You're still on the throne. And people are still finding God, even among groups like Islam. Literally, millions are converting to Christianity. So, Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for all of us that we would um, fix our eyes on you and remember that you are not going ever to be defeated. We're on the winning side. <clears throat> so help us keep to that, I pray. Go with us now as we go, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, sorry we don't have any time for questions, but um, we better, kids will have the feet rock off the walls if we don't get out there. So, you are dismissed. <clears throat>